now say now you're tuned in to the wake up and win podcast and i am your host devon pouncey we are here in the beautiful city of portland oregon at the momentum studios i am in studio by my lonesome but i am not alone on this here episode spencer shay calling us through the wire here today not feeling so hot huh Hey, man, what up, though? He's here, though. <laughs> I'm good, man. No, dude, I, this is going to be a struggle for sure. I have an ancient disease uh, that was forgotten a long time ago by humans. Uh, it's called the flu. <laughs> so, so I'm stuck. So this is this is your this is your flu game appearance here on the Wake Up and Win podcast, huh? Oh, come on. Don't put that pressure on me. Bro. It's on, what baby. You doing, dog? It's on, baby. <laughs> oh, Pressure's no. on. All right, all right, I got the towel hey, over my head. Let's go. Hey, the pressure was on as soon as you said you're willing to call in, my boy. Hey, man, it's all good. I'm a gamer. Let's get it. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Uh, I want to start off with win shares, and I'm actually just going to announce the win shares for the remainder of the year because I think, I think this is going to be the final podcast episode of 2022. We will probably do a best of episode. I'll connect with Zeb here after we get done recording this. But next week, you know, Christmas week, going into the weekend, Christmas weekend, I think we're going to take it off. In the final week of the year, we'll do a best of episode, and then we'll get back at you at the top of 2023. So I'm just going to run through everything that I at least know I'm doing through the remainder of this year. Things obviously change, and if those changes do indeed happen, you just go look at my social media. Really, if there's any additions that is added to my schedule more so than subtractions. But what's already what's already etched in stone this weekend, this Friday and Saturday night, I will be at Export Rooftop Barn Lounge DJing. So excited about that. Back at the rooftop. Wasn't there at all last weekend. DJed a couple of dope holiday parties. Also DJed an event for Deeply Rooted Sports Bar and their grand opening. But this weekend... I am at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge from 9 p.m. to midnight, the 16th and the 17th, both Friday and Saturday night. Also this weekend, on Saturday, just before I DJ at 9 p.m., I'll be right up the street at the Viking Pavilion. Portland State men's basketball will be taking on UC Santa Barbara at home at the Viking Pavilion, 7 p.m. tip-off. And again, as soon as I'm done with that, I'll strike it around the corner to export. But obviously, hey, if you're feeling well, if you're feeling better than Spencer is right now, you can pull up to the Viking Pavilion this weekend and enjoy some good, fun basketball. This Vikings team is pretty fun this season, so I I would suggest you all come out and get to see them. Bring your families, bring whoever, bring yourself. There's some decent basketball going on over there. I'm really what, enjoying yeah, it on the call. What's up with that game, Pete? What's up with that game? That UC Santa Barbara, that non-conference game late in the year like that? What's is that usually on the schedule? Um, no, this is actually a rare game. We don't see them play against Santa Barbara much. I haven't seen them play against Santa Barbara in in the five years that I've been at Portland State. So yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. You know, so yeah, it is a a, a non-conference game just before Christmas. And they only have one more non-conference game uh, after that. And then it'll be all big sky play for the remainder of the season. Right. So um, I think this will be a good a good test for them going into what will soon be nothing but conference play. It is on ESPN Plus if you all would like to tune in. Also, locally here in Portland, it will be on the CW station as well. So if you're local, you're in Portland you can just catch us right on cable TV. You got Xfinity, DirecTV, all the things. You can catch us right there at 7 p.m. But if not, you can catch us anywhere around the world if you just go ahead and download or indeed already have the ESPN Plus app. So that's all I got for this weekend. Next week and weekend, we will be both Spencer and I on the call at Pacific University Um, The Pacific University men's play December 21st, which is next Wednesday, 5 p.m. tip-off against McMurray University at home. And then we – oh, we don't have any women's games next week. So that's all we got there. (laughs) And that – that's all we got there. But the following week, we do have a women's game for Pacific against Alma on (laughs) December 29th. Um, As far as DJing next weekend, I'll probably be – at export December twenty third, probably. Um, I've been thinking about skipping town, so we'll see. I'm kind of a last minute guy, and this is just what you get when you get with me. 
And so um, we'll see about that. Follow the social media. I will be having a New Year's Eve party, though, at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Pull up. Have a good time. There's not a better venue to be able to celebrate coming into 2023 than that of Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge. And quite frankly, I don't think it's a better DJ to bring in 2023 with than myself at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge. So come on out, celebrate New Year's Eve with me. I'll be on the ones and twos on the rooftop to close the year out of 2022. Spencer, do you got any wind shares? Of course I do, man. I'm alive and kicking, but also follow my Instacart. I mean, Instacart. Ah. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. My head's all foggy, man. You better chill out, dog. Hey, man. Hey, that was know, not Jordan flu game like, my guy. <laughs> Jordan didn't go 100% in that game. Okay? He didn't go 100% the field. Give me a break. Go to Instagram, at Play for Pong. Instagram, Instacart, it's all the same. It's all the same. Just check me out, man, because I got stuff cracking. I got projects coming out with my homeboy. Awesome music's going. You know, you got to check out GoBoxers.com to hear us. Let's call games. So, yeah, that's that's where we're at with it. All right. All Moving right. Moving along. Moving right along. Wind shares are over. So that's what we got for you for the rest of the year. Again, it's 0 for 1 from the field. Let's go. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Plenty more shots to take and make. Let's get straight into some content. Unfortunately, before we have some fun with today's episode, because we're going to do something new that we've never done on this episode before, especially to close out the year. But for starters, we do have to start a bit on the Morbin Inn, um, the passing of Mississippi State football coach Mike Leach. Um, he passed away earlier this week. It's reported that it was a heart attack. I don't know if that is for certain, but it's certainly what I've seen in particular reports. But Mike Leach... Coach at Mississippi State, um, former coach in the Pac-12 at Washington State as well, amongst others. And he passed away this week. It obviously shocked the college football world. It shocked the sports world at large. Uh, Mike Leach was held in pretty high regard within college football. And one thing about him, his personality was absolutely one of a kind. Um, He was an absolute king when it came to sound bites. And the reason I know that in particular is because a show that he frequented very much so was the Ball Face Truth with John Canzano. And I obviously used to work at 750 The Game, and I was once a production intern for the Ball Face Truth with John Canzano, Canzano during Mike Leach's stint over at Washington State, which was a successful one. And there was not a guest that, people wanted to hear from more on that show than that of Mike Leach. The dude, you just never knew what a response was going to be that you would get from him. You could talk to him about absolutely anything. And he was a hard read, but he had so much fun and he had his own thought process for what it is he believed for what it is that he thought and his opinions. And quite frankly, he stood on them. And it made for great content, first and foremost. Um, And I think it made for what is, to me, sort of the last of a dying breed, if you will, in regards to just that old-school personality in regards to just, you just can't predict which way and which direction this coach is going to go. And a lot of personalities, coaches had personalities that were unique, you know, in, in prior decades in college football. I think now you kind of be got to be a little bit more straight and narrow in some areas. I think we're just in a different place politically, <laughs> um, socially. And I think as a right. coach, you have to adapt to the place that we are today socially because everything's on Instagram, you know, everything is can come back to haunt you. Um, quite frankly, people are just smarter <laughs> today and they understand systems. And there's just certain things that were normalized in the past that probably shouldn't have been that just quite frankly, won't fly today. But I don't think Mike Leach particularly comes from this era. So he was one of those coaches that he said how he felt and 
he didn't pull any punches in that regard. And and again, you know, during my time on the BFT, I, I would say he was just as everybody as he was everybody else's favorite guest. He was my favorite guest that Kanzano would have on the Pac-12. Obviously, Kanzano is one of the top, you know, journalists when it comes to covering that of Pac-12 football, especially. And so for me, that connection that I had with Leach would always be the days that I worked at 750 the game and would hear him on Kanzano's show and, you know, the fun that they had for each other, the sort of adoration that they had for each other, because while Leach is a heck of a king of one-liners himself, Kanzano obviously is pretty damn good at what he does in the radio space as well. But I actually reached out to Kanzano earlier this week because obviously I'm aware of their relationship because of the time spent there. And in reaching out to Kanzano, first I just wanted to reach out to him because I don't think often enough that we discuss journalist to coach or journalist journalist to player relationships. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we expect journalists to kind of put away the human side and sort of be like this unbiased, straight up and down, play it super duper trooper fair person that might not necessarily align with just who they are as people and not what it is that they do. So because of that, oftentimes when we hear about relationships between journalists and coaches or journalists and players, we obviously talk about the friction in between the two. And obviously here on this podcast, we've discussed time and again the many, you know, issues when it comes to sports journalism in particular and how it could cause friction for whoever the subject may be, whether that is a player or whether that is a coach. But for Kanzano, like, because I was there and I was inside and I heard plenty of those interviews and I even made some phone calls during that that time period to Coach Leach when I was a production intern for him to come on to the show There was a personal relationship there that I just don't think is allowed to be acknowledged because Kanzano was a journalist. So I reached out to him just checking in on him because I know the relationship they had, you know, in his article that he wrote during Leach's passing. He talked about the last time they were on the phone a couple months ago and they were up past midnight talking on the phone, just chopping it up, you know. And I think quite often, you know, I've been in a space myself where like, there was a player that I primarily covered. I mean, I'll just go out and say it was Deontay Strickland when he was at Portland State. And I saw Deontay Strickland in his last 24 hours of life. And then as I'm sitting here live recording this very podcast, I found out that he passed away. And Strick was sort of the first player at Portland State that just accepted me and and reached out to me and wanted to get to know me. And I got to know him and we got cool. And because obviously I'm still in my twenties just for about a month left, but <laughs> you know, at that time, four or five years ago, you know, I'm in my mid twenties. So I more so can relate to these players that are in their late teens and early twenties. than I could even my partner that I'm on the broadcast with every game who's, you know, in his 50s. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it was like Talking for me. But but because what I was doing, that more so aligned with who my partner was. More so than right. me, a young 25-year-old black man, if you will, calling Division One college games on, on TV. You just don't often see it at that young of an age. So, um And I just remember and I still, you know, have my moments where I sit back and reflect on my relationship with Strickland and quite frankly, how it affected me as a journalist, because that was the first kind of player who I covered. And obviously Leach is a coach, but it was the first player who I covered that I kind of dealt with something like that before. And all the commentary, the broadcasting, the journalist stuff sort of went out the window for me when I think about Strick because, again, I saw him in his final 24 hours of life. And, you know, just knowing that he was the player that didn't care about what my position was, he just respected me and who I was, and he wanted to get to know me, and we got to know each other a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And just even thinking about his home going, you know what I'm saying? They had his his home going celebration. His funeral services were at the Viking Pavilion. And just remembering, you know, they did a tribute video. They played a tribute video on the big screen at the Viking Pavilion. And you can hear me on the call 
on Strix Games, you know, during that tribute video. And to me, like, I didn't feel good about being on that tribute video just because I was on the call for that particular game and I like what I do and I'm grateful for the job it is that I do. But for me, there was sort of an irony there because I know this was the first player to really embrace me at at Portland State University more so than it was me enjoying him being able to knock down a three-pointer and getting excited about it over the airwaves. And so I reached out to Kanzano, man, and was just checking in on him because, like I said, I think oftentimes we don't check in on journalists when they do have a player or a coach that they cultivate a relationship through an industry that we're both clearly passionate about, (laughs) which is why it is that we play or we coach or we write or we commentate or whatever the case may be, all because of the love of the game. So I hate to see that, you know, oftentimes we only focus on the friction between coaches and athletes and uh, I mean uh, coaches and journalists or athletes and journalists rather than the relationships that can be built and cultivated because we all share the same passion and so um, you know obviously condolences to Mike Leach's family um, you know and again there there wasn't too many coaches um, that were wittier than that guy during the time that I've been a journalist especially and, and he'll definitely greatly be missed. Spencer you got anything on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I wanted to uh, sort of piggyback on what you were saying about, you know, uh, the type of guy Coach Leach was in terms of his sound by game. I, I think to to sort of expand on that, like he is the type of coach or, or personality in the business that we're not really going to get to see a lot more of going yeah. forward because he really just didn't care yeah <laughs> i mean and I, you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah because and, and because he comes from that era where it's like not everything is instantaneously broadcasted when he was coming up through the ranks as it is today right i would say that guys or or people in the in the business are not necessarily they're they're more measured yeah in, yeah in that, in that they know exactly what not to say in order to to make sure that they don't get any you know heat coming down the pipe or whatever, but coach Lee shouldn't necessarily have that problem. And I think that that obviously that makes for a better, you know, it makes for better sound bites, especially for a journalist, obviously. But yeah. also like he really embodied the fact that, that this like sports and, and really entertainment at large, it's a human business. Yes. Overall. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And we don't because consider that enough because it is sports and entertainment. No. No, exactly. Because right. we put like we put these strictures on people based on the court of public opinion, which is everyone's opinion instantaneously getting thrown into the conversation now. So it's it's developed a lot more stringent sort of code of conduct, it feels like. Yeah. That I think is limiting sometimes, you know. For sure. It's good. Overall it's good. Because yeah. it's more good than bad, to, for sure. Yeah, of course. Because because Cause think about it, bro. Like back in those times, a journalist or a group of journalists going into a post game presser or a pre game presser or something to that effect, a lot that stuff wasn't all broadcasted. Yeah, it would only be relayed through an article that somebody yep. like a John Cantano would later write. Right, 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 so right. That person would be able to say, "Well, now I get to choose what I get to sort of report about that interaction." Yeah, no, it's it's interesting you say that because you would later write it, you'd have a deadline to write it, you might have a day or two before it actually gets published and printed in the newspaper, depending upon if you actually meet the deadline. Or I know with you know with some people, I think in Zano even it would be like Sunday columns. You don't hear from your columnist every day, so you know what I'm saying. Like it's just it's a different world where now. All the cameras are out and it's a click of a button before millions on top of millions have access to see your live reaction, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, the relationship between the journalistic side and then the the people that are in the sport or in the entertainment field was a lot more sort of like, I mean, I'm I'm not saying it's not important now, but it was more important then because of really like the, the power that 
journalists had to be able to reveal about these people, you know, like, yeah, you don't have the luxury today to be like, well, let me conceal parts about myself. It's like, dude, if you're out in public and you are in the public eye, somebody's going to have a camera on you. There's no way that you're going to be able to, you know, yeah. uh, conceal parts of yourself anymore. And that's what guys like Mike Beach were able to, to sort of like, even as they came into the modern era where they were, they were, they ascended above because he was like, bro, I don't, it don't matter to me. I'm yeah. going to keep being me. I've been me since the seventies. So I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, like I said, we're not going to see guys like that coming through the pipe anymore. Really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Certainly. So again, rest in peace, so to, rest him. In peace to him. Absolutely. Yeah. Condolences to his family. And I'm not going to acknowledge, I mean, I, I've seen some people and, and we see this often. I think when, when people die where, you know, you usually acknowledge the good and then you have a group of people that may acknowledge some of the bad <laughs> that that particular person did during their lifespan. And not saying what, what I think Leach was, was bad by any means. Like we might not have aligned, we might not have agreed, but you know, there was a lot. He, he was friends with Donald Trump. Let's just shoot it straight here. Um, and you know, it is what it is in that regard. Like I got friends that, might be on the other side of the political aisle than I am, but I'm not that shallow. For one, I'm a registered independent, and I, I, I'll publicly say that. I would say probably a lot more of my views align with the left. Um, I, I definitely probably vote more Democrat. I know I, know, I know I vote probably more Democrat than Republican, but I'm a registered independent for a reason, because if it's something that I don't agree with from the Democratic side, I'm not going to allow the fact that I'm a Democrat to force me to have to vote that particular way if it ain't my interest, quite frankly. And so, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen some of that floating around about Leach, and I'm not here to get into all of that. I know some people would expect that from this podcast especially, but that's not necessarily what I'm here to do right now today. Um, again, the, the experiences that I've had with Mike Leach, um, having covered Pac-12 football myself, having covered the Ducks, and obviously going on a show and, and working for a show and on the same station as a show that he very much so frequented, uh, most of my memories are, are are good and hilarious and funny and unique of Mike yeah. Leach. And and again, you know, I uh, I just want to uphold that and uplift that and honor that. Because if I wanted to sit here and talk about his political alignment, he ain't here to defend himself anyway. So right. there, there there's you no have political. <laughs> there's no political parties upstairs anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. So <laughs> so therefore, we just gonna let that be what it is. Um, also, again, not to continue to stay morbid here. Um, but we had Steven Twitch boss who passed away. Um, he was the DJ for the Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, he was also uh, affectionately known um, for being a dancer. He He's known for being on the So You Think You Can Dance show as well. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, he died at 40 years old this week by suicide. Um, right. And... It's been an absolute complete shock, the responses that I'm seeing, obviously, from people within the industry that know him. I mean, I've seen D-Nice. I've seen Justin Timberlake. I've seen Ellen, obviously. I've seen so many others that are are, are kind of in shock because of, you know, even if you just go to his social media, he was always, always, always smiling. Um, he was always with his family. He was always entertaining us. He was dancing. He was DJing. Um, he was entertaining millions on top of millions of his own social media followers and all his own, you know, platform followers. Obviously, we know how big of a show Ellen DeGeneres was. Um, and, and he had a huge following. And again, he's made waves and impact and impact in this industry for decades. And this Going back to last week, Spencer, when we were talking about Brittany Griner and you were talking about that, you know, you were happy to see her smiling, you know, in the videos that we saw. And I kind of I kind of gave you some pushback a little bit on that. Um, mm. And the reason I gave you pushback on that is because of the potential for realities like this one to take place. Um, knowing again this dude always wore a smile. This dude knew how to right. entertain us to levels that 
Nobody could. You're not DJing on Ellen's show if you're not legit. Again, he's dancing on shows like So You Think You Can Dance. Like, this dude poured himself into us as consumers, as fans of entertainment, as fans of these particular shows and platforms in ways that nobody expected that this would be the way that he would sort of fast-track himself into his posthumous sector of his existence. And again, this something like this happening, obviously you don't want it to happen. I didn't expect it to happen. Nobody saw this coming. But this is what I was kind of thinking about. And this, the potential of this being a reality, which indeed this obviously is a reality for somebody like a Britney Griner, knowing the trauma she endured and not knowing some of the traumas that she endured that I don't know if we'll ever know. Obviously, many of us are right. confused and, and don't understand what traumas it was that Twitch endured for him to end his own life in this particular way. And this was just why I had a little bit of cause to pause when you made that statement, because I know and understand as an entertainer myself, knowing Brittany Griner's been a star herself and knowing somebody like Twitch has been a star in entertainment himself. And we know how to sort of like put on this front to make sure that everybody else is entertained and that everybody else is uplifted to maybe fight to live another day when we might be going through the deepest and darkest times of our own that we feel like we can't really share because we're always trying to project happiness. We're always trying to project fun. We're always trying to project entertainment to keep people enjoying themselves and what it is they're consuming and obviously keep them uplifted and whatever it is that they may be going through in their lives that we may or may not know about. And But we neglect ourselves oftentimes um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I, that was sort of the connective piece for me, obviously, as a DJ, you know, and, and as somebody in entertainment myself, I feel for the DJ community. Um, and again, as a DJ, this made me reevaluate every weekend I'm going out and making sure everybody else is having fun. And one of the main things we've talked about on this podcast that I like to do when I DJ is read the room. And that's something that I think is necessary to do. But at the same time, it just makes you sit back and reflect and think about how much I pour myself out for consumers to enjoy and learn and be entertained and and just have these memorable experience, these memorable experiences. But we still got to take care of ourselves throughout all of that as well to be able to continue to do that so that things don't end up in, in an unfortunate situation as we see here with Twitch. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I there it is right there, though, you know, I mean, that that is the folly of the measured sort of way of the social media era in that, like, you don't know what exactly you don't necessarily know what you're seeing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like that, that people's projections are, are I mean, they're usually it, it's safe to just assume that any sort of media output is manufactured and tailored to some specific end that's not entirely realistic anyway so mm. while saying that um i think that you know when you're in the in entertainment industry you are expected to always be on yeah and yeah and you're expected to always be embodying the the brand or the persona that you've built yeah and i think that you know a lot of the times people will get criticized they'll be like oh well you're not you know, you only post your wins on social media and people don't see the L's. And it's like, well, first off, you don't have to post your L's if you don't want. Yeah. The, the content is manufactured anyway. No, nobody should be, you know, disillusioned by the fact that, that what they're seeing on social media is 100% real life. Like, that's the fact. But also, like, you don't have to post your wins either where, um, you know, people in the entertainment industry, especially – if you're, I mean, I've, I, you know, the man was clearly going through some sort of depression, you know, I mean, I believe that that suicide is sort of like the end result of depression as a disease. Uh huh. And so, and so that's why, like, you know, all the, all the criticisms about that stuff, you know, it, it's, it's, everyone can have their opinions, but I believe that depression is a legitimate disease. And I think that it's, you know, it's not something that it, it, it's not psychological. 
you know, yeah. I mean, it becomes physical. And, and I just think, I just think it's important to note that, you know, even while somebody was going through depression, it's like, no one is, no one's forcing you to post an L, no one's forcing you to post a dub, but the man was still, you know, uh, uh, trying to entertain people and, yeah. and trying to keep his family involved with that and yeah. trying to still do the stuff that he loved. I mean, especially dancing. I mean, that was, that was his thing. Yes. You know, I for mean, sure. being a DJ is just a byproduct of the fact that the man could really move. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so I mean, and, 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 you know, so that to me, like, like with the Brittany Griner thing, it's like, that wasn't her content that she was making. And I'll bet you, I mean, obviously she's going to get, you know, pushback from particular people on, on the particular side of the political spectrum anyway. But it's like, I don't think anybody would have, would have, you know, uh, faulted her if she would have been just absolutely drained and not showing any sort of emotional, yeah. you know, positivity in that moment. But she's an entertainer. So yeah. she just felt boom, right into that. She you just know knew saying? how right to turn it on. <laughs> yeah. 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 She knew how to I turn mean, that smile nature to somebody like that. So it's, you know, definitely, uh, it's, it's, I mean, and, and I think it's a good thing for people. I mean, it, it sucks. Rest in peace, switch. Absolutely. Yes. It's just something that, you know, no, when you least expect it to just be re-reminded of like just the all of the overall fallacy of the social media thing. And that it's not really always what you see. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, for so. sure. For sure. No, again, rest in peace to Twitch. And for all of you that are out entertaining or have an audience of any magnitude, just make sure you take care of yourself. Um, I, I right. think that's ultimately quite what it comes down to. Because, again, you know, when, when you talk about the grinder piece, like we were all happy to see Twitch smiling as many times as we got to see Twitch smile. We were all happy to see Brittany Griner smiling, especially because we can only imagine some of the rigorous things that she endured over in Russia for nearly a year. Um, but again, you know, oftentimes these people know how to turn it on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because this is what they do for a living as a profession. And sometimes you just kind of disregard self and all of that and you know these are just moments right. where these discussions these discussions are necessary to necessary to have and, and that was I, I felt last week was another moment to try to weave this discussion in not that we don't want to see people smiling but sometimes it, it does give a little bit of cause to pause when we know you know just what it is that we do and why we do it and some of the things we have to do to stay in it. <laughs> and then it becomes kind of second nature and, and we can oftentimes neglect ourselves in the process of what we do and becoming second, second nature rather than just who we are being sec second nature as it always should be. Um, so again, rest in peace to Leech, rest in peace to Twitch. Unfortunately, we had to get off to a morbid start but now we're going to have some fun with it. Um, I got, let me see here. One, two, three, four, five, six categories. Six right. categories. And Spencer and I are going to break down our favorite moments of 2022. So it's not a best of. We're not ranking anything um, and, and comparing anything, if you will. It's just more so, you know, every year consists of a lot of moments. And this is the time where we're going to sit and reflect on many of the moments that came about in 2022 that were big moments to us individually. Right. And it could be a, it could be a mainstream topic or it could be a local topic, but for some reason these particular things connected with us individually. And obviously this podcast focuses on sort of the nexus of sports, politics, and culture. So the way that we created these categories for our favorite moments, because oftentimes any topic we, we discuss on here, we wanted to have two or more of those elements. We wanted to have a sports element, a political element, or a cultural element, and we want to just kind of speak to how they intersect and how they meet and how they come together. So... The topics will be music and politics, sports and politics, music and sports, and then we'll do a politics moment that was our favorite this year, a sports moment that was our favorite this year, and then we'll just, for the cultural piece, we'll just do an album. Obviously, I'm a DJ, Spencer's a musician, so we'll talk about an album and that meant the most to us this year as well. So I want to start with 
music and politics. And one of the biggest moments for me in music and politics is when California restricted the use of rap lyrics in criminal trials this year. Um, Governor Newsom signed a bill. And obviously, I live in Oregon, but I'm from California. I'm born and raised in California. And quite frankly, there's rappers everywhere. But the rappers that I listen to and the rappers that I happen to know personally, majority of them happen to be in California still. (laughs) Um, I'm still a California music guy myself. Um, And just the inner cities like, you know, I live in Oregon and I grew up in the inner city, but I'm not necessarily at a point in my life where I care to try to overly attach myself to the inner cities here in Portland, if you will. And again, inner cities are all over the place. And that doesn't mean that like I can't keep it real with inner city folk, but I'm just saying that the way my life has has trajected was the inner city that I'm connected to most is the Bay Area inner cities. So when it comes to Portland's inner city politics and things of that sort, I just try to stay out of them because I've been there before and I just quite frankly in the place where I want to be in that space right now today. Um, But obviously I thought it was a big deal and I know a law like this could impact some people that I know personally, quite frankly. Um, I I understand the beef and, and the drama and just some of the politics that happened in the streets that I grew up in. Um, And again, it's unfortunate. That's not my way of supporting and condoning it, but it is my way of saying that it's people that I love that's still out there in those trenches. And my love for them is far greater than me ever wanting to see them in jail or dead, quite frankly. And this is a way to see them at least not be in jail, you know, and I just hope and pray that they stay covered enough to not end up dead either, as there's plenty of those that I know as well that did end up in jail or that did end up dead that I grew up with and I came up with, and it never makes me feel good. So that's my favorite moment this year in regards to music and politics. Spencer, you got one for me? Okay, so I was going to use something similar to that. And you can. I mean, I mean but no, but, but I, had a, I, had one in the, I had one in the tuck, just, just in case. Okay. Uh, so, my, so I would say one of my favorite moments of that intersection of music and politics was when Kendrick Lamar dropped the Hard Part 5 video. Oh, tell me more. I remember, okay, so I remember the, the anticipation on Twitter when everyone was chomping at the bit to hear Kendrick's, you know, long-awaited next album. And then he drops the hard part five. And in that video, he's using that face swapping to, you know, project himself uh, into a bunch of different cats. Yep. I mean, you, you know, there's some, some that we won't even name on this podcast. For sure. But, but I just thought that that moment was so good because while people were just like, man, I really, I can't wait to hear this music. I can't wait to hear this music. Kendrick Lamar was like, ah, but not so fast. There's still a larger, you know, uh, list of, of issues and stuff that, that he said, basically I, I, way I took it was like, I'm going to address these first before I move into this project. And I just thought, I, I just remember that day of like going through Twitter and like seeing the way people were just loving that, uh, video and the song and, and I just thought that that was, um, I mean, the, right down to the Marvin Gaye sample, it was just like such a well done sort of, I mean, really like an intersectional moment. I think Kendrick yeah. is uh, a really like an intersectional artist in a lot of ways. So that was a, that was a cool moment for me. I really enjoyed that. Dope, dope. Um, the next category, and in, in, in this case, is still, we're in the intersectional category still. So this, it'll be sports and politics. And for me, this one was easy. Mm-hmm. And not because I have recency bias, but because of, you know, some of the work that we put it into it, into it in particular. And that's the release of Brittany Griner. Um, for one, happy she's home. We obviously did a whole segment on that. Um, but obviously, man, it's like a lot of my world is advocacy, especially over at Street Roots, which is my full time gig. And. I've been able to do a lot on the advocacy front or more of like a political level, especially when it comes to like housing and homelessness and and policing and alternatives for policing and things that are like so on and so forth. And I'm a dude that's 
sort of newer when it comes to like my interest in politics. Like I didn't grow up interested in politics at all. I grew up interested in sports and music, quite frankly. And once I got into college and once I got into higher higher education, sports was actually my entryway into having an interest in politics. Because quite frankly, I grew up, we don't really trust the government. <laughs> you know, we don't really trust politicians. <laughs> and we don't have a lot of examples of people that have political success from the neighborhoods that we come from in ways that we do when it comes to, you know, rapping and ball playing, if you will. And so, you know, having worked at Street Roots, you know, for coming up on five years and having done so much advocacy work and that having been such a pivotal part of the work that I do up there, and then being able to kind of bring that into, you know, a sports space, you know, obviously, you know, the connection that we had with Senator Ron Wyden and being able to help be an influencer, if you will, and having him go out and take the step and leading, you know, a bipartisan Senate resolution, um, you know, and then obviously as much as we pounded and discussed that particular topic right here on this very podcast, you know, we, we had an interview with Wyden here on this podcast, published it in Street Roots. Um, we we really kind of, you know, we hit the ground running and advocating in the best ways that we could on this podcast to see her released and to see her be released before the year's end, I, I think is a huge deal. And because of the work that we did on that, and more importantly, just seeing her back home, that's easily my favorite intersectional moment when it comes to sports and politics. Spencer, what's yours? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the biggest sort of, uh, you know, story, I would say, of uh, the podcast this year, for sure. And yeah, that would be an obvious one to go to. But I thought about it and I I really wanted to use this category to just talk about how I think everything that the WNBA sort of is, does, stands for, the way that they advocate right up until uh most recently when kelsey plum was sort of trying to or you know more specifically sort of advocating the case of the wmba in terms of their payments yeah um to me to me the best sports and politics you know moment or series of moments has really been just the wmba and yeah. how it's clearly in you know in this country and probably the world the most you know, politically conscious, socio-politically conscious, you know, uh, league yeah. and the players obviously have an understanding, uh, and grasp over advocacy work better than any other sports entity for sure. Absolutely. And, and so I just wanted to use that category to just think about all of the great things that the WNBA, you know, is and does on the advocacy front constantly. And yeah. it feels like, it feels like, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just like an uphill battle to get people to really understand like the importance of their work, especially when it comes to the, if, if you, you know, if you frame the debate between the NBA and WNBA, but it's like, look, I mean, they're, they're just so on it all yeah, the time. They're so. always on it first. And I forget who it was that said this recently, but they were just talking about the WNBA and uh, it might've been Shanae Agumake, but um, she just short. She just sort of alluded to the fact that like most of the women that play in the WNBA play all four years of college, which in turn means they have their degrees. And so, right. oftentimes we don't really consider like the educational piece and how smart that majority of these women. That's not to say that you're any less smarter if you don't have degrees, but I do think there is something to be right. said about the fact that we don't often see women leave college early to pursue professional basketball. <laughs> like they complete all four years of college. They go through all the rigorous things that it takes to ultimately come away with a degree. And then they go play the professional sport. Unlike the NBA or most other sports where if a guy's ready and he's over 18 years old, he's going to go chase that bag. And so, um, 
I, I, I think that's a reason why they are usually on the right side of history. And obviously we saw the power and the advocacy, advocacy that, that they've done to grow their league. We saw it obviously with Brittany Griner as an example as well. And I do think that that's a very important component is that the education level of WNBA players is up there <laughs> because they don't leave college early. Like they go through the grind of being a legitimate student athlete and not the grind of, you know, let me just do what I got to do to get by. Cause the ultimate goal is to get to the league as soon as possible. And if I get a degree or not, it doesn't matter. I'm trying, I'm chasing a bag essentially trying to change my family's life life from an economic standpoint. So um, I, I agree with you on that. And again, like that, that stands out to me in that regard when it comes to WNBA consciousness. Yeah. Um, let's see. The next one. The next one is music and sports, the intersection of music and sports. And it was a few of them that I thought about with this one. Obviously, you know, we had a conversation on here when when Dame and Toby Anigwe had that video that was released. You know, they 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 shot it right here, I think, in at the at the Somewhere in Portland. The Rose Garden. At the Rose Garden. Portland, yeah, they the shot Rose at the, Ro the Rose yeah. Garden here in Portland. Um, and so that was super dope. Um, but I think for me, my favorite sports and music moment would be Simba when he joined the Jalen and Jacoby show and shouted out this very ah, podcast. That, I mean, obviously, that's mine too, bro. The Wake Up and Win <laughs> podcast. Now, look, I don't yeah. think I – now, look, I will say this. Obviously, it was a dope moment, and, and if we agree on that moment, we could just kind of talk about it together. But I think what made it – I think it was just the irony or, or the coincidence, if you will, that the Jalen and Jacoby show is no longer – and that just got announced yesterday. So Jacoby is leaving ESPN. And then the ESPN's PR announced that that show, the last episode was, I think, November 24th or something like that. Um, so for me, it wasn't just the fact that the moment was super dope. And, you know, while Simba was on his press run for Results Take Time, you know, he 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 didn't forget to acknowledge this very podcast, which he's been on multiple times and, and you know, shouted us out on a platform that you and I both, I know in particular, hold in very high regard. But now that the show is over, what a great run for it is probably a top five all time sports show for me personally ever. And so yeah. um, I, they were just so culturally on point. Um, they were so unique to themselves. They didn't have to lean into debate culture, if you will, to have success or like being shock jocks to have success. They were just two cool, chilled, laid back dudes that had a real sense of not only sport, but culture and society at large. And, and I think that's why the run was as great as it was. There was always something to learn from that show, but they kept it cool enough to where you feel like you weren't watching the news or reading the newspaper. You were still being entertained by them as well. I, I mean, dude, for sure. They, I've been watching that show since the ESPN radio days. I've been yeah. on that show. And so that they are, to me, like the blueprint of – what shows like you know that or this really ought to be it's like they're just two friends yeah that know what they're talking about and really care about the content and i love how you mentioned that they didn't get into the debate culture because it's like you know when i was younger i'll be honest with you when i was younger i would jump up every day bright and early and i would watch first take right but now that i'm getting a little older yeah. I'm going to watch that show in the afternoon. I'm not trying to get yelled at before I have my time. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. <laughs> so, so I love Jalen and Jacoby because it's just, it's just such a player show. I mean, player. player, player, like, absolutely the, player. The, the, the decor, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and really, if you think about it, bro, they're probably one of the most like, like the earliest sort of official sort of intersectional shows in, I agree. in like what kind of like the spaces that we do. Yep. You know what I'm saying? For sure. And, For sure. and man, that's just going to be such a missed show, bro. But, Absolutely. But you know, whatever, the next one is the best one, bro. You yes. already know what it is. Yeah. Something's going to happen. 
That's right. That's right. So yeah, that's that's the best, you know, sports and music moment for both of us. Glad that in the final months of the show's airing that we got to be a part of that little bit of piece of history that again, its impact will live far beyond the phenomenal that run that they had over at ESPN. All right, now we're not going to be so intersectional. We're just going to be straight shooters. And I'll start with the album. Uh, my favorite album of the year, I would have to say, is Future, I Never Liked You. Some of you may not be surprised by that if you listen to the Grammy episode that we did a few episodes ago. But at the same time, it's not just that I particularly like the music on that one, and I did. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while now, in 2022, during the pandemic, we talked about how big of a music year that 2023 was going to be because a lot of people held back and postponed releases because right. you couldn't go out and tour in 20 in 2020 and 2021. You couldn't go out and be able to go on these press runs and you couldn't go out and work your album or work your music in the way that you would prior to the pandemic. And 2022 just felt like the first or year it, that we were getting back to people being able to do that on a consistent basis. Or more importantly, get paid for yeah, these shows. For sure. I mean, that's what I said. Going on a tour, like, that's, yeah. The point of going to touring that's is to get one. paid. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if I can't go tour, or do a tour following up on this project to go get paid for it, why do I want to release the music? To make a tenth of a penny from Spotify? No, thank you. Um, yeah, and knowing, cool. <laughs> knowing the hard work that musicians <laughs> and artists put into their craft. But the reason that I say future, again, obviously I like the album, I hold the album in high regard. I thought the music was great. But to me, especially from like more of a hip-hop space, Future kicked off that big year of 2022 that I do think ultimately became a big music year. When you think about the releases, the multiple, the, the Drake and 21, Drake had another album that he dropped this year, the Beyonce album, the Kendrick album. Like you start running down the list of albums from big name artists, you know, Pusha T's album. Future was the one that kind of kicked it off when it felt like everybody was looking around to each other to see who would drop first. Future just let mm. it fly. And I don't know whether that was intentional mm. or not, but it's what happened. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so he was the one. And then obviously as a DJ, like this was, I think, the biggest DJ year for myself as well. Like, I don't think I've ever DJed this many gigs within a year span than I have in the year of 2022. I think 2023 will potentially top that because the gigs got so consistent more so during the summer where, you know, I'll be flowing into 2023, 2023 doing consistent gigs. But like the expectations that I not only had for artists and music to release that year, but that I have for myself to just be able to go back out here locally and start DJing and doing gigs as well and just kind of putting myself into that much larger picture Future, to me, was the one that kicked things off in 2022, and I think the year did live up to a lot of what we expected and predicted as we kind of had some foresight in feeling like 2022 would be a big-time music year. It was for me personally on the DJ front, and I think it was for all of us, you know, on a more of an entertainment front as well for whatever it is that we're fans of. All right, mine's simple. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Enough said. All right, moving right along. <laughs> Politics. Portland Street response went citywide. Um, again, I talked about the advocacy work that I've been doing, and I think probably the biggest advocacy project that I've been a part of in my career um, was Portland Street response. And it went citywide here in the city of Portland um, at this year. And I want to give a shout-out. I want to use this to give a shout-out to Commissioner Hardesty as well, who – um, wasn't reelected on city on the city council front, but I feel like this was one of the biggest things that she implemented in the last four years that she has been on city council and knowing as much as she went through, knowing as much as she endured all the way up until the election season and and knowing what was what the odds that she were the intentional odds that she were up against. And it was very clear and very blatant how people felt about her because they went to extremes that that you just shouldn't go and that were eventually called out and proven to be wrong extremes to go to to try to get her out of office. 
Um, but to see that go citywide, to know, you know, what we've dealt with, you know, especially since 2020, since George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, um, you know, Breonna Taylor, so on and so forth. Portland Street response going citywide is the biggest um, political moment for me personally that I got to see this year. Spencer, what you got? Yeah, um, I mean, this is a pretty personal, I mean, this one is personal for sure for me. Governor Kate Brown has been sort of now moving forward on her end of term clemency cases that she's had a lot of that have been put on the back burner for a long time. And, yeah. Um, I, I, she has recently moved, uh, forward in getting some of those, uh, sort of handled. Yeah. And so I know that there's a lot more on her docket. And so I'm, I'm just excited that that's happening uh, and that's important to me. And so I'm just really glad to see that as we are, <laughs> two weeks away from the end of the year, you know, it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. So get yeah. them, let's get those scrubbed off the docket. That's where I'm at with that. For sure. Good. I'm glad to have that happen. Dope. Dope. Last but not least, favorite sports moment this year for me is the dubs winning the title. <laughs> um yeah. that probably doesn't yeah. come as a surprise to many of you. I was down at the parade celebrating. We obviously, you know, followed the dubs, the whole playoffs, the whole NBA playoffs, talked about it. Um, the fun that I had, the history that I was able to be a part of, and then just, you know, the personal tie that I had, you know, GP2, obviously, a good friend of mine, and being able to see somebody that you was in the trenches with, that you played high school AAU ball with, and we all had this particular dream as young kids, high school kids and teenagers to be able to see somebody that you shared that dream with and that you went to the went through the grind with them to actually reach and achieve that dream. It, it, it quite frankly, doesn't get much better than that. And so um, for me, yeah. you know, it's like mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. yo, yo, we went like like. This ain't just about me being a fan of the team. You know what I mean? Obviously, Steph Curry, favorite player in the world today. Um, but, like, that GP2 element and knowing, like, that's a dream that we all wanted to live out, all 10 of us that played on the GP gloves during AAU, and for us to be a part of his journey to actually get that done and him being able to represent us and getting that done, it makes those days all worth it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it, it was huge for me. You know, man, and see, this is for anybody that doubts my commitment to this show or my commitment to our friendship. This is how pitiful the state of my basketball fandom is compared to yours. You just got done talking about, oh, yeah, my best sports moment of the year is my hometown team winning the NBA championship. Yeah. With a childhood friend on the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My biggest yeah. sports moment is my biggest sports moment is Portland signing Jeremy Grant. <laughs> I can't win out here, bro. Yo, yo, but to be fair, I think you're doing Dame a disservice because you and I just went to the game a couple days ago. Buddy knocked down 11 three-pointers in three quarters. I mean, that was an amazing moment, of course. It was. It was. <laughs> it was just, pretty dope. I'm just, I'm just saying, and I'm not even knocking Jeremy. Great player, but it's like that's the difference from yeah. an eight-and-a-half-hour eight, eight and a half hour drive. Champions and... I'm glad that you you made some three pointers, Dave. Congratulations <laughs> on hitting some threes, bro. Man, I just I, Lord, I see what you've done for other people. Do it for me, man. That's all I want, bro. That's all I need. Well, hey, we got GP2 here, and although he hasn't played yet, maybe he'll bring some of that championship pedigree whenever it is that he returns God, to the court, I man. So, you know, I maybe we'll see, God man. We'll see. We got a shout out, Dame, too, because we did have a great time. At the game the other oh, yeah. day, man. You know, we, it was a great experience. Hey, it always is. At their at their peaks, do you think? I, we used to say this that it was Steph and Clay one and two, but it might be Steph and Dame one and two best shooters of all time, bro. Ah, I don't know, man. I watched Clay do a lot, and Clay got, and Clay I got a lot Clay of ring, and Clay got a lot of rings yeah. to show for it. Like like yeah, Dame top five. I put Dame in that top five. But, no, he's top but three. Clay, he's yeah. top three. I mean, he's, yeah, he's the I, third I, best shooter he, he's up there. I've ever seen in my lifetime. He's up there. I'd have to Rick think Miller. about it. 
So yeah, there was also a guy named Ray Allen too. Just just so you know. Yeah, but I um, watched, I watched him. No, no, no. I'm not right? knocking Dame. But in fact, I I, I want to take this time to acknowledge Dame in the MVP race because he's he's in there. In my opinion, he yeah, he needs to be in there. Um. Tatum's number one, though. My goodness, I was watching that game the other night, and I saw what Brody, he did to we, LeBron in the lane. And I watched it from start to finish. Like I watched him go up twenty. I watched him lose a twenty-point lead to go down twelve or thirteen, and then I watched him come back and obviously win it in overtime. And it was Jason Tatum through and through, regardless of the roller coasters of that game. What was consistent is Jason Tatum was the best basketball player on that floor, regardless of AD, regardless of LeBron, Westbrook, Jalen Brown. You name it, Jason Tatum, from the start of the game to the end of overtime when they won, it was the best player on that floor. Tell Zeb to run the tapes back. I'm certain that we were on the podcast last year, earlier this year, during the playoffs. Yeah, we were. I I remember. I remember. And I was saying, Jason Tatum is going to be a top five or better player in the league next year. No, you said, no, 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 no. You said he was last year. I think you well, said he, he was at that was. time, which I mean, yeah, hey, to be sure fair, he made it to playoffs. the NBA finals. I mean, yeah, he had a great yeah. run, <laughs> but but yeah, this year he's that, he's that, he's that, he's that, he's, <laughs> he's, he's that, that, bro, he's, he's that. that. So I'll give you that one because this year he certainly is that. Well, yeah, man, that was just some of our favorite moments of the year. That um, was a beta test. We beta tested that segment. Yeah, we'll rip that. Rip that one up again. We should probably try to do that annually, just so we can no, like, for sure. periodically through and try to go back and be able to compare. You know, no, what I, I want to do it annually for sure. Like I said, we we got it done this time around, and, and we'll definitely do it annually and again. Everybody's doing their best of and their recaps of the year. For me, I think it's cool for us as consistently as we're here on this podcast to just acknowledge some of our own favorite moments of the year, um, and and obviously strap up and get ready for another one. So on that note, Spencer, appreciate you for joining us and, you know, having your flu game appearance here today. But uh, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how for probably the rest of 2022. And that is to stay woke and go win. Go win. Go win.